This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast. Here I am with my oh-so-sharp co-host, Jorn. Hey, if, Jorn. if only he meant my intelligence, but we're actually talking screen pixels here, I think. So <laughs> I'll take what I can get. Hi, Dave. Hello, hello. So, yeah, we have uh, we have both uh, Jort uh, Rudenberg to talk to us about C-sharp and uh, what it's like to be a, a professional C-sharper, maybe? Um, and also a little bit about his experience writing the book as well, which we're going to be talking about. Yep, and we talked a lot with Jort, so it's going to be a two-parter. First part now, second part next week. And for anybody watching this on YouTube or listening to this on the MP3s, we do have a little surprise at the end, so stick around. But right now, I'd say let's let Jort take it away. Indeed. And we're joined today by Jort Rodenburg, C-sharp expert. But uh, Jort, please introduce yourself. Yeah, you probably know yourself better than I do. Sure. Uh, I'm Jort Rodenburg. I am a software engineer. Um, and apparently I'm a C-sharp expert. That's the first time I've heard of that. Um, you, you'll change your tune after after this recording. Um, so I'm a software engineer. I work for Acronis in Phoenix, Arizona, in the US right now, uh, where I do a lot of distributed system work. Um, I am also the author of a book on C-sharp called Code Like a Pro in C-sharp, uh, published by Manning earlier this year. Um, and yeah, that's basically what I'm up to now. So like the, the book, uh, code like a pro in C sharp. Like, what what inspired that? What was the thing that uh, sort of made you think that this would be the the, the topic of choice? Sure. So, the, the C sharp book world is it, it's very weird because there's a lot of books on C sharp, a lot of books on C sharp .net, everything in between. But most of those books are either you know learn programming in C sharp, learn programming with C sharp. This is what a for loop is, or you have your John Skeet books or your Jeff D. Richter books where it's, you know, this is how the garbage collection works. It, it's very advanced and th there's not much in between up until now, um, hopefully. <laughs> right. So th that's kind of where the idea of this book came from. It's like having a book that can take you from beginner to those advanced resources um, and sitting in between it because those advanced resources assume you know things that the beginner resources may not teach unless you pick up one of those 1500 page books as a beginner, and I wouldn't recommend that either. So it's kind of like a stepping stone. Yeah, it's definitely good for programmers to have a bit of a cross-section of the whole thing, because just knowing how the syntax works, but not knowing what it means under the hood leads to bad code usually. The, usually it does, yes. All right then. Now talking about bad code, one of the chapters in your book is actually titled, How Bad Is This Code? Mm -hmm. So how do you look at bad code? I mean, typically, if it's anything I wrote, it's probably bad code. Um, <laughs> I'm sure every developer can kind of sympathize with that statement. Um, but more analyzing it, it, A, if your code does what, you know, if you fulfill the business requirements and all that stuff, you, your code, it's probably fine. It may not be clean, but it's fine. So just what do you mean, you know, with bad code? Is it either bad and that it doesn't do what you want it to do, or is it bad? Is it spaghetti code? Is it just not clean? And that is partially what that chapter is about. So the, the book kind of takes a case study where there's a airline that you are basically hired for to revamp their code base. 
and that in that chapter we look through their original code base i think it's c sharp 2 it's very old a lot of security holes a giant one giant file basically the entire code base and we kind of analyze that and pick out little things that oh we probably should do this we probably should do that so like there's a lot of comments in that code well we probably should do self-documenting code where, where we can get away with it you know we can break up this function in multiple smaller functions and we kind of go through and create our list of analysis and potential fixes so is it more about the performance of the code or the form of the code? Because looking at code, the most performant code I ever saw was totally unreadable. Right. Because it was so optimized right. that the guy who wrote it probably doesn't even understand it anymore. And I was the guy. <laughs> On the other hand, writing very beautiful, elaborate code makes it very understandable, has a definite advantage, but might not be the best performing code because it's not as tight as it could be. So how do does the normal how do you as a developer kind of find the right balance there? Is it very much dependent on the organization you're in, the kind of industry you're in, or is it more generic across the board? I think the industry is surely part of that answer. But in my experience, performance is nice, but whether this executes, you know, in one millisecond or three milliseconds, I don't care. I much prefer to have it more readable. It it is not that big of a deal. Um, mm -hmm. it, for example, right now I'm working on distributed systems and performance, it's just not a problem. Um, because you're dealing with RESTful APIs. Some in that mm -hmm. case, it, if the API call takes a millisecond more to get back, who cares? It, it, I'm not writing a video game. I'm not doing any real time work, which I have done in the past. And that's where performance comes in more because you're literally spinning 60 cycles a second. Um, but for I'd say most people just stick with readable, make your code, you know, read like a narrative, as Bob Martin likes to say it sometimes. Um, and performance, like it's an, a bit of an afterthought sometimes for me. Yeah, but am I right in thinking that that's more of a recent thing? Because in the olden days when I went to school, <laughs> performance was important because computers were slow. In these days, computers, I mean, the acceleration in, in, in CPU power and graphics power, it's hard to keep up anymore. I mean, when I was young, you bought a computer game and then two generations of computer later, you could actually play the thing. <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore. And on the other hand, there's a lot more people that have to work in a team where you're not just one person writing a program, but a team that has to collaborate and then readability, of course, can be much more productive. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. You know, back in the tape storage days when you probably went to school, um, it's uh, it was more important. So, but don't get me wrong. When I say like performance is an afterthought, I don't mean you know being able to analyze an algorithm for the big O or something like that. Obviously, if you can do it better, do it better. But don't kill your code and play some code golf and make it unreadable. You know, use one variable, one letter variables everywhere because it may make you know, the compiler is slightly a little bit faster. It, it's just going to kill you in the long run. Yeah. And another, another thing that I've seen myself, I think, do wrong is adding too much stuff. Because you start with a new project and you're looking for a framework and that has libraries, has dependencies. And that even before I've written my first line of code, I'm already talking to 10 different project framework, whatever's. And again, clarity gets lost. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Some languages have that more than others. Um, mm -hmm. C Sharp definitely has some of that. Um, but I think that's partly because it is just a massive platform, really. It's more than just a language. 
So the, there's some complexity and overhead there, some boilerplate that you have to deal with. But if that is your baseline, it shouldn't really matter for performance because everybody's going to have to deal with that if you're constricted to that one platform. Yeah, but I think you're right. C Sharp actually suffers less from this than, for example, the the, the newer languages, the the, the Rubies, the the, the TypeScript-based mm -hmm. things, the Angulars, because that really because the languages are poorer, you need more add-ons to make it all work. While C Sharp, as you say, has been a very broad framework to to, to build in. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, that's probably partially because C Sharp has always really been that broad framework, and over the last twenty years, they've kind of optimized it. I realize like Ruby, they've, they've been around for a fair amount of time, but they, they never took that approach of having everything under one umbrella, having, you know, a standard library that is basically anything you can ever dream of. So th that probably is part of why C Sharp is pretty good at that. But I mean, on the other hand, you also have Java, which is in a similar boat as C Sharp, mm -hmm. which has a massive standard library, for lack of a better word, has been optimizing that for probably 25 years by now. But it does tend to act a bit slower than C-sharp. So it, it's an interesting comparison there. So it's not completely the answer, but I'm sure it's part of it. You just mentioned that C-sharp kind of got refined a bit over the last couple of years. I'm assuming you mean the, the, the whole .core uh, movement that happened? Sure, yeah, that was... Uh, Can you explain a little bit? Because I never understood what that thing actually did, because I kind of stopped programming <laughs> at that point. And sure. now I have to talk to people that program. And I know that a big part of the framework kind of got cut off to make it more more agile, more lean, more flexible. But can you explain a little bit what the difference is between the .NET framework and the .NET Core? Sure. So for me, by far the biggest difference is where you can actually run them. So mm -hmm. .NET Core, it's interoperability. You can run it everywhere. You can run it on Linux, you can run it on Mac, you can run it on Windows, Xbox, iOS, Android, whatever. .NET Framework, you can't because .NET Framework is much more geared to your traditional desktop apps for Windows. They have a lot of hooks to Windows native APIs. So th that's the big split. So .NET Core would typically be used for backend development of maybe a service or something like that, not really desktop app development. But nowadays, I, I want to say about a year ago, they actually combined everything again under .NET 5. So, <laughs> while .NET Core still exists, it, it, it really is .NET 5 now, and everything is just under one big thing. So, you know, if you want to write video games, if you want to write web services, native desktop apps, you can all do it now with one runtime, one compiler, one thing to download. And that's really the way they're going forward. Okay. Now you say that the .NET Core is multi-platform, but I remember when I started, when C Sharp was very young, it was in the, two, the early 2000s, I was actually programming, <coughs> sorry, my .NET on, on, on Linux using the Mono project, right. where Miguel de yes. Gaza kind of rewrote the whole thing to make it run on Linux. And that was actually quite well, but you're right, there were a lot of Windows hooks that you kind of had to work around. Well, and Mono is still around. Mono really yes, is the Core. now, right? Right. So... Yeah, Samarin and Samarin is Microsoft, and .NET Core basically, I believe, runs on the Mono runtime. So it, it is still there. It's all an evaluation, evolution, mm -hmm. sorry, of the, the, the good old days. <laughs> good old days. You say that with a smile. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Jan, Jan's still wearing the scars. Right. Uh, I don't have scars. I, I like C Sharp. I always did. I never. I, the thing I like most about C Sharp is it's easier to debug. With Java, when something goes wrong, you get a core dump, 20 pages long, and you can start fishing around where the thing is going wrong. 
from that point of view, even if you're doing web app development, and again, my knowledge is years old by now, I can assume it's only improved since then, I hope, uh, but it was very elegant for lack of a better word. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you, right? That, that would shoot myself in the foot. So, oh, so sure, yes, you're absolutely right. right. <laughs> but I'm, I mean, so I am the least developer person on this uh, podcast for 100% sure. But like, uh, I always feel like as a, as a non-developer, it's like C Sharp and, and Java are often the, the kind of the two languages that get sort of most compared sort of to each other in the enterprise space at least uh, but it sounds like there's actually you know really quite a difference between the the two in there in their approach in their use uh, is that is that fair is is that is that sort of uh, is the wool being pulled over people like my eyes i mean yes and no um traditionally there was a massive cliff between them because Java was just the only thing you could run everywhere. So I think Java, even in their installer, has a thing like Java runs on 1 billion devices. Like, great, but still Java. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> traditionally, C-Shop only ran on Windows. Hence, mm -hmm. framework, those kind of things. Well, you could do mono with, you know, beyond Linux, but it's not, it wasn't really the, the experience you wanted with C-Sharp typically. Um, I mean, Jean seems to, you know, okay. be fine I'm with it. It was fine, yeah, right? <laughs> Um, and that's kind of what I think kind of drove the enterprise decisions on which way to go there. As far as the languages themselves, the way you use them, it, it is pretty similar. They, they're both object-oriented languages. They're explicitly typed and they're going more to a functional kind of development style over, over the last couple of years. So if you know one, you can pick up the other one very, very quickly, yeah. which is good. Um, but nowadays, the reasons I typically tend to hear why one would go with C Sharp in an enterprise setting versus Java, it, it is a the good tool sets around C Sharp for debugging, which it has only improved. Um, the cost, because technically you need to pay for a license for Java now, um, Oracle switched that. C Sharp is completely open source. Um, so that that is a really big uh, change that they made around the time .NET Core came out, because .NET Core was like, okay, we're all going open source every single thing we do. Microsoft doesn't own everything anymore. Because um, that's also something you hear from a lot of people, oh, it's Microsoft, I don't like Microsoft, therefore I'm not gonna use C-sharp. Well, now it's open source. Yes, Microsoft owns GitHub, but you know. <laughs> it's not the same. But, right. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, I, I think I was technically aware that C-sharp was open source. But it's not something I think that's ever really made, like it's, it's never really made an impact in the mainstream, despite the fact that that's, that's been the case for quite some time. And the only benchmark I have for that knowledge is the fact that I had kind of forgotten that it was open. And I still, I still think of it as being this kind of giant kind of gated thing. Mm. Uh, is there... You know, have you seen over the last couple of years like more emphasis and more effort being on the fact that sort of publicizing and communicating and almost evangelizing the fact that, you know, C Sharp is such an open platform now? Oh, absolutely. Um, but they probably could do a better job, clearly. Right? I, I also have colleagues that if I talk to them, they were not aware that C Sharp was open source. And it's always the people who don't work in C Sharp, mm -hmm. um, which makes sense. 
because it does have that reputation of being locked down, being Microsoft stack and all those things. Um, so they have something called the .NET Foundation now, uh, which really is aimed at promoting C Sharp and kind of bringing that message out there like, okay, guys, this is open source. If you want to contribute it, you can. You say you don't want to be locked down to Microsoft. Well, Microsoft is still involved because you know, obviously they would still be involved. They, they are committing to this as well. But if you don't like what yeah. they're doing, at least you can say something now. You, you could have said something before on their own forums, but they just weren't going to listen to you. Now you can just <laughs> post something on GitHub. So yeah. you, you have a little bit more power and you can kind of see what is coming in the future. Um, and yeah, it, it's definitely been a, a very good change. And from what I can see, like uses of C Sharp has gone up um, ever since they went open source. The language has gotten better because of it. Hmm. How, what other kind of shifts or like evolutions have you seen since uh, since C Sharp went open? Like either in its use or in its adoption or like any of those kind of things? Um, that's a good question. Let's see. I mean, so the, the places that I've worked at have traditionally been places that did not do C Sharp. And then mm -hmm. when I joined a month before, basically, they decided to use C Sharp. And it's always kind of been a coincidence. Yeah. And it's always been um, an effort from one or two individual engineers that like, okay, we should probably use C Sharp for this. We like using C Sharp or, you know, they may not have a good reason for it, but they wanted to use it. So I do see that it's up and coming in like certain organizations that traditionally would be on like Python or something like that because of the fact that it's not open source and you know somebody reads an article is like oh wait this is open source now we can actually use it um you know I can write my back-end systems in C sharp and I can just deploy it on Linux and it, it works I can just deploy it to my server um I mean that that would probably be the biggest quote-unquote shift that I've seen mm. Okay. I was thinking maybe yeah. Dave had more to say about that, but no, no, nope. that's that's it. That's 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 all of my developer knowledge. You've you've kind of I, I'm depleted now. I'll go to sleep for a while. Well, if you want more developer knowledge, may may I uh, introduce you to a nice book about C sharp called Code Like Approach to C sharp. <laughs> I think I think I'm I'm more in the kind of region of like dummies guide to programming. Uh, you know, I, I can. I can just about sort of uh, hack about a bash script uh, successfully, you know, much, much beyond that, I get lost very quickly. I mean, that's still pretty good. I, I would say that <laughs> you should definitely pick up a copy. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a writer or a marketer there? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, maybe taking a little bit of a another look at it there was this state of the developer ecosystem that was developed by uh, published by JetBrains a couple of months ago i guess and they have some stuff on there and we've been talking about c sharp and java and python and other things so yeah there's a whole bunch of languages out there so these are the i mean they compared you can see the top here a whole pretty much everything i ever heard of and something i've never heard of myself and they've had some key takeaways here. Anything here that strikes you as weird or totally wrong? <laughs> um, I, mean, I, I, don't, 
I mean, I, I totally, totally wrong one, in the sense. Yeah, well, JavaScript may be the most popular language. Yes, it's not a language. Um, it's a script. It's a scripting tool. Right, right. <laughs> and I mean, HTML would be a popular language as well. Exactly. Um, in that in that sense. Um, I I mean, I think JavaScript is really the most popular language because it's just used everywhere and people know it. People are tied to it. Um, that being said, Microsoft and the .NET Foundation and the whole open source community are pushing for what looks like to me to kill JavaScript because they introduced Blazor, which allows you to run C-sharp uh, natively on the front end as well uh, because the Composite WebAssembly. So in, in my mind, it looks like they want to get rid of JavaScript, which okay. a lot of people would probably not mind. So <laughs> it, it it's not a surprising takeaway that that's the most popular language. Um, there's also Go. I, I've been doing a lot of development in Go. I, I like Go. It's a good language for what it is. So I'm not surprised that it's in the most popular languages as well. Um, and then you have the, the Java versus C-sharp thing. Like Java, I think, is almost double the percentage that C-sharp is right now. And I think that mainly is, yeah, it's more than double. It, it, I really think that mainly is because of the traditional mindset that enterprises by now mostly are locked into the tech stacks. Mm -hmm. um, and if this is a bigger enterprise, they may have met their decisions in the mid 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably not going to switch. If, if you if you were going to switch from Java to something, C Sharp may not be the one you switch to because it is so similar. So yeah. you would then go to something like Go because that is up and coming and can do a lot of things that Java can, even though it's not an old language. So the, it, it does make sense that Java is up there in that sense. I mean, the, from the graph, the, the thing that I find like a little bit interesting is that you've got, you know, Go, C, C Sharp, C++ are all kind of relatively similar in terms of their kind of used in the last 12 months. But there's quite like C, it's not terribly surprising, I guess, like not very many people are planning to move to C. Okay, that makes sense. A huge volume of people are apparently planning to move or adopt or migrate to Go. And then C++ and, and C Sharp are actually kind of equal in their in their sort of numbers of people kind of probably planning to adopt and migrate. And I, I suppose I, I just, I expect C, C++ to be kind of dropping down in, in kind of uh, influence or focus. I kind of expect expected to be far further down in the list. Yeah, um, I, the, the planning to adopt or migrate is, is interesting for those. Um, I'm not surprised that they're used everywhere. Yeah. Um, but if I think about the industries that use something like that, you know, you're talking embedded development, mm -hmm. high performance things, yeah. aerospace, video games, although video games C-sharp has taken over a big chunk as well. It, mm -hmm. it, so the, the planning to adopt, yeah, that, that's a surprising point. Um, but that's also similar to the planning to adopt for Dart, because I've done some work in Dart as well. And it it's a language, I can say that. Um, <laughs> but it, it, is, it is a very, very new language, and it's not very stable yet. So that having taken over a lot of the old languages, um, like Ruby, and even Rust being lower than what I expect it to be, uh, that, that's interesting. GraphQL, I don't know if that's really a language either, but... Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I query a bunch of these. Like, H, we, we talked about, like, HTML, CSS, like, sorry, not, not a language in my mind. SQL, also not a language in my mind. 
but you know graphql also not a language in my mind but there we go right. um yeah but it, it's like rust so if you look at the ones that are making the most kind of um movement i guess you've got rust you've got kotlin that i'd never heard of before you've got, got go one, yeah. and then you know i i guess typescript and python are the other two kind of big movers um but yeah it's sort of it's it's an interesting selection of of ones that are sort of very fast moving and the only one that's kind of fast moving and you know quite high in terms of adoption is actually like python that's the only one that's yeah. kind of up there in terms of adoption and kind of new new migration i'll say that that kotlin may be a bit of a red herring because that mm -hmm. is a jvm language so if you know kotlin you're on the java mm -hmm. platform because that's what it executes on so you're basically in the java world at that point so you could combine those yeah, yeah so it would be the same with scala which i wouldn't be surprised if scala is in like the top 20. um it's also a jvm language yeah it's it's down but, there it's it's on the right right yeah but on the other hand you know you can say that probably about visual basic if they're doing visual basic.net um which a lot of people are or f sharp it's a.net language so you can kind of combine them mm. probably yeah I think we see three different things in these charts. The one, the first thing for me is the, the marketing. I mean, the new languages, the new hotness, it has hype. So people, of course, we're going to look at Go because it's new. It must be good. It's from Google, blah, blah, blah. So that's part of some of the things that make some of these higher than they should be. The C++, I think, is being pushed by the whole uh, edge computing IoT devices where your executables need to be very small and very performant, not fast performant, but that every line of code must count. And then a higher, higher abstraction language like a C sharp or a Java will cost you. So a lot of people go to C++ to do that. If you look at uh, the company I work for, the, the thing that the machine learning part, which needs to be fast because you're going to be duplicating a lot of that parallel, that's still being written in C++ while the rest is in Java. Just that's i think where the c++ information comes from and then of course the python is uh, the whole data science thing that's really also a big hype at the moment i mean yeah. a lot of yeah. people now just start python in the hopes of finding a better job basically not because it's a good language i mean it's not a bad language i like python <laughs> let me say it differently but it's just that's why yes i'm thinking of looking at python because i see employment uh, gainful employment from that well, also, it's a lot easier, I think, to do that with Python C Sharp. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but the learning curve or the the time to become, how do you say that, good at the language is a lot large, longer for C Sharp. I mean, it's easy enough to write a Hello World program in both of them. But Python, you pretty much don't ever go further than that because it still stays very simple code, basically. While C Sharp, you need to have methodology idea behind how programs should be written as well there. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but th that's probably for most languages besides Python, because py Python is just extremely easy to learn compared to most languages. Um, and another thing I think Python, yeah, well, <laughs> let's not that's go to language. PhD. <laughs> yeah. Um, Python also has the benefit that a lot of education is done in it right now. A lot of introductory programming courses are either Python or Java. Um, my very first programming experience was 
doing the online MIT programming 101, and that was in Python. Um, I have since also taken a class in Java. Um, Python was a lot easier to deal with, even in a class that <laughs> I knew Java when I took that class. Um, and it still was a pain. So pe people, I think, just kind of gravitate towards Python because it was their first experience if you're part of the like the most recent generation of software engineers coming out of school or currently in school yeah and of course for you and me i mean python it's a dutch invention so we have to right python. i mean that's exactly yeah even though guido made python i, I still try not to write it <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it is always a contention point because my boss is a big python fan and i'm like yeah i don't know um i prefer to use c sharp or go and that was the first part of our interview with Jort. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we talked longer than we ever thought possible. <laughs> so there's going to be a two-parter. And uh, it was a lot of fun for me. I mean, I know you don't like the developing programming part that much, but I do think you were suitably impressed by everything anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's not that I don't like it. It's just not for me. Like, personally, I'm, I'm not a developer. I'm maybe a terrible developer, maybe. But... Uh, it was it was a very interesting conversation and uh, yeah looking forward to part two yep and as you might have noticed during the episode Jort actually wrote a book on c sharp and how to code like a professional in c sharp and we actually do have a couple of uh, books ebooks to give away so if you're interested in learning more about c sharp getting to be a professional in c sharp send us an email just send it to podcast at roaringelephant.org put in the email buddy that you're interested in having a potential copy of this book we don't have that many of them we have a couple so if you're fast you might just be the lucky um winner the lucky owner of a book by jorta rodenburg very soon fantastic and with that unless you have anything else to add that's it for me then that's all the professional time for all the professional time we have for c sharp today see how did that <laughs> flawlessly oh it was so smooth <laughs> You can support this podcast, give me some Dixie lessons <laughs> by becoming a patron. All contributions do help. We're on YouTube, you can like, subscribe, hit, not hit notification bells and do all the YouTube stuff Dave likes so much. You can go to www.roaringelephant.org. There's links there to the Patreon page and all the rest of the stuff that we do. And you can uh, see me on Twitter from time to time, very rarely these days, at Roaring Elephant is the tag you want. And as I mentioned earlier, you can send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. And if you want a copy of the book, just make sure you mention that in the email message body or else I won't know. And with that, Indeed. until next time, my name is I like C Sharp Yon. And my name is I'm a terrible, self-confessed terrible developer, Dave. And we look forward to talking to you again next week with Jort. See you then. You wrote a book, you know. I mentioned it a couple of times. <laughs>